And if, like a corpse, everything reminds me of you... Wait, is this my blood? Well, if that's your blood, then you need a tourniquet because you are ready for this episode of Discography Discussion. I am Joe, that is Dan, and we are talking about Soul Embraced. Soul Embraced. A.K.A. one of the greatest underground metal bands of all time. I agree. A band that definitely has not gotten their due. A band that has Rocky Gray. So, of course, I'm in. Absolutely. Right off the bat, I'm in. For sure. Lance Garvin from Living Sacrifice is also in this band. And the band eventually would go on to become Living Sacrifice. No, not exactly. Okay, well, I can dream. (laughs) I mean, Bruce was on that song in the new album, but... And by new album, I mean, like, what, 2013? I thank you for this band in my collection. Soul Embraced is one of those bands that just comes up when somebody says something like, this is the most heavy thing I've ever heard. Well, you haven't heard Soul Embraced. I don't know if Soul Embraced is the heaviest death metal band I've ever heard uh, by a long shot, but they are one of the more musically interesting and diverse death metal bands out there. If you can even call them death metal, really, I mean... With the exception of maybe the first album and the last album, uh, it's pretty much all experimentation throughout. Well, before we start talking about experimentation, I want to take this time to say thank you to everyone for listening to the podcast. Thank you for listening and for subscribing. If you are not a subscriber, you can find everything Discography Discussion at DiscussMetal.com. We are on Google Play iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, so if you have an Amazon Echo or Google Home, you have no excuse. Ask it to play the latest episode of the Discography Discussion Podcast, and it will. We're also on Facebook and on Twitter at Discuss Metal. Be sure to like, favorite, and subscribe. It really helps us out. It lets us know you're listening, and now Dan is going to tell you all about five-star reviews. We love five-star reviews here on Discography Discussion, and it's not just because they make us feel really warm and fuzzy inside. It's because we live in a world that is dictated by recommendations that are dictated by algorithms. And how these recommendations work is they'll take a highly rated podcast and recommend other highly rated podcasts based on user input and reviews. That's where you come in. We need you guys to review us. Let us know how we're doing. Let us know what we're not doing. We're pretty easy to get along with, guys. If you're constructive and you criticize... That's totally okay, too. So just let us know. Whatever podcasting platform you use, leave us a review. We really appreciate it. Thank you so much. And we will also read them on the show whenever they pop up. We got a tweet from AC in regards to episode 76, The Offspring. Dan and I apparently enjoy very different kinds of offspring. Personally, I don't think they hit their peak until Americana. I was also surprised there wasn't more love for Splinter. Not as good as Americana or Conspiracy of One, but for me, it's up there. Thanks for doing this show, guys. You are welcome, sir. Thank you for listening and for throwing those recommendations at us and occasionally just saying, hey, I know it's not metal, but you guys should do it anyway. Yeah, we're having a little bit of fun dipping our toes into the non-metal world, so you can expect more of that soon. I don't want to put a, a timestamp on it and say it's going to be once a month or, you know, once every two months or whatever, but occasionally we're going to throw, you know, a discography out there that doesn't fit with our normal format. That keeps things fun and fresh for us as well as you guys. TJ Weber asks, 
When's this Norma Jean discussion going to happen? When it's done. (laughs) Well, if that isn't the most Duke Nukem Forever excuse I've ever heard. Okay, it's not going to take 12 fucking years, but... He'll be there when he's done. It'll it's coming, man. Don't worry. You're not gonna you're not gonna watch the ball drop in New York and have not heard the Norma Jean episode. That's all I gotta say. It's coming before 2019. You wanna talk about the Slayer show now? Yeah, man. So last night I got to see a shit ton of bands that I like in one convenient package. Uh, so this was on Slayer's farewell tour. So I got to see Napalm Death open up the show, which was amazing. It is Napalm Death. It's Napalm fucking Death. <laughs> and they brought it, man. They brought it just like they always bring it. Uh, and after Napalm Death, one of my favorite bands of all time, Testament, came on. Kicked my ass for a solid 45 minutes. And that was a lot of fun. Uh, I actually just talked to Chuck Billy uh, on John's Untitled Podcast, which is the other podcast that I co-host on, and uh, we interviewed uh, Chuck Billy, and so, like, you know, that was probably last week, so I couldn't have been more excited to see Testament after that, and uh, man, yeah, they absolutely brought it. It was great. Just, I mean, riffs and solos up your ass, man. It was amazing. Um, And after after Testament came on, uh, Anthrax played some songs, and you know they were, um, well, they were Anthrax. <laughs> and then after that, Lamb of God came out, uh, which I've voiced my opinion on before. That you know it's a little bit of an odd choice to have Lamb of God on a tour with old school thrash bands, but you know what? They fucking brought it, man. Uh, they were up there playing Ruin. And like that play, I mean that that almost brought the whole fucking amphitheater down, man. It was some of the heaviest shit I've seen live in a long time. And uh, yeah, I mean Randy Blythe, man, just a fucking amazing showman, and uh, just kicked ass, got us all psyched up to see Slayer. You know, he 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 brought it. He knew what band he was going on before, and like he just got us all warmed up. For what Slayer was going to have for us. For one final time, at least in this city. Absolutely. So then, of course, fucking Slayer came on. Jealousy. That's what I'm feeling right now. (laughs) Yeah, man. Uh, Slayer was, well, they were Slayer, right? Uh, Not in a negative way, but like I was thoroughly impressed with how good they still sounded. I mean, everything was fucking flawless. You know, this band has been at it for so many years and they just they just fucking blew the top off of the venue with everything. They had all they had the fucking thrones up on the stage. They had fucking, you know, fire going pretty much the whole time they were playing, which was kind of I mean, it was hot enough anyway. It was like 90 degrees when the sun was down on that amphitheater. Like I was on fire pretty much the whole time I was there. And then when Slayer came on, I was like, shit, it's got to be like 400 degrees up on that stage right now. Man, they, they, they played through it. Uh, I was surprised, actually, that they didn't play an encore. I thought with it being their final tour that they would do that. But uh, they played it completely straight, man. They played every fucking Slayer song you want to hear in a live setting and ended it off with South of Heaven and ended finally with uh, Angel of Death. And that was it, man. And uh, we all got quiet afterwards and... Just couldn't believe the show was over. It's like shit, man. 
Uh, is this going to be the final time we ever see Slayer? I guess time will tell. I can't believe they had the balls to not play an encore because, you know, that's a thing in all rock shows and especially in metal shows with these bands that have been around forever. They've been around for like a hundred years, man. Like, maybe they were just sick of it, you know? <laughs> like, right, because what is a acceptable Slayer encore? You know, they walk off stage, a couple minutes goes by, and then you just start hearing the drums and Raining Blood eventually starts. Well, here's the thing. They, they played Raining Blood. They played, uh, they played War Ensemble. They played fucking, uh, you know, see, uh, South of Heaven. They played Angel of Death. So it's like when they're done playing Angel of Death, it's like, it, it, in my mind, I couldn't think of, like, if they did an encore, what is the one Slayer song everybody would be here to hear that they hadn't played already. So, um, yeah, man, it was killer. And, uh, Definitely something that I'm going to remember for years. So, uh, yeah, man, uh, highly recommended. If if this show has not come to your town yet, you need to do whatever it is you need to do. Um, steal a car, rob a bank, whatever it is you got to do to get the funds together to do this shit, you need to because it's, it's definitely a really cool thing. In 2017, Decibel Geek brought us Rock and Pod Expo in Nashville, Tennessee. This summer, they're doing it again. Rockin' Pod Expo 2 on August 25th. Tell us about it, Dan. We couldn't be more thrilled to be appearing at Rockin' Pod this year. In an effort to help support this amazing event, we are throwing in some perks for you guys to help raise the funds necessary to make this event happen. A $35 donation on behalf of Discography Discussion to the Rockin' Pod Expo gets you a limited edition Discography Discussion hand-painted beer glass and the option to choose what band we talk about in an upcoming episode of the podcast. This also includes your admission to the Expo, access to an exclusive podcast made only for contributors to the event and we can't wait to meet some of you guys there in person we'll be hanging out chatting all day keep in mind on these perks there are only three of them available so act fast and we hope to see you there so dan tell me about soul embraced soul embraced is a death metal band well they're kind of death metal but we'll get into that their first album was death metal their last album is sort of death metal but they are generally considered to be a death metal band their vocalist is most definitely a death metal vocalist you could say that he's also really good at whispering but what we're going to get into is that soul embraced was notable in that they had a heavy association with the band living sacrifice by heavy association i mean rocky gray from living sacrifice is kind of the brain behind soul embraced it's kind of his baby do Along with every other project, band. is it really a side project though? I, I don't know if it is. I don't know how many side projects put out five albums. How many bands was Rocky in while he was putting out these Soul Embrace records? I think there's like 400 bands that Rocky Gray's <laughs> in. He's in a lot of bands. Dude, dude can play pretty much any instrument. Most notice, notably, guitar and drums. And um, Soul Embrace was a band that was formed basically as a side project for Rocky Gray. I believe he... See, Rocky used to actually be in this death metal band called Shredded Corpse. And um, I believe Soul Embraced was actually formed with a member of that band as like a side project. They released like one song on a compilation and then that was it. But then whenever Rocky joined Living Sacrifice, 
he recruited some of the living sacrifice guys uh, to play in Soul Embraced, so it became like a uh, a full thing. And then I believe it was his brother-in-law, uh, Chad Moore, who became the vocalist of Soul Embraced. And then as far as Living Sacrifice goes, um, we had Lance Garvin, the drummer for Living Sacrifice, playing drums. So Rocky played guitar, Chad did vocals, and Lance played drums. So you've got a band that's basically two-thirds Living Sacrifice. And then at one point, Rocky Gray would play drums and guitar on some of the songs and that would carry over into living sacrifice territory and there was that one band that some people call symphonic metal even though they're not and then that other band that would go on to take the place of that band we are the fallen wasn't that bad that's all i'm gonna say the band that shall not be named uh yeah kind of like the genre that shall not be named we'll talk about that it'll come up i promise Rocky Gray really is the guy in melodic metal in the 2000s, I think. Because he showed up on everything, or he was the go-to when somebody needed something right now. Is that accurate? Definitely. He's He was the guy, and I think in a lot of ways, he's still the guy. Dude can do anything. I mean, he played drums on, uh, well, not the newest Project 86 album, but like two albums back. Wait, for, Wait the for the siren. siren. He played drums on, and you know that record had really good drumming. So you know you do the math. <laughs> Dude's a beast. Two thousand one for the incomplete. Right, and before uh, for the incomplete came out, uh, they had released an EP called Fleshless. And what's interesting about that? So like I'm holding in my hand right now the Clenched Fist Records release of for the incomplete. Uh, Two thousand one. And what's weird about this is, like, when you look at the track listing, like, whenever I open up the liner notes and look at the lyrics, there are, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven songs with lyrics. And that's all that's, like, listed for this CD. But what's funny is the actual entire Fleshless EP is included on this record. So you get the whole deal just in one record. But it's kind of weird that that's not, like, reflected or mentioned anywhere in the packaging. It's just on there, like, here you go. Well, you got to just put your best foot forward, and and if your best foot is everything you did before and everything you did now, you just go with it. Correct. Were they re-recordings or just a... No, this was just straight up the Fleshless EP dropped onto the end of the record. Bonus if you're a fan. Yeah, I mean, I, I like it because, like... Okay, first of all, like I don't think I need to mention this on this podcast. Anybody that knows Soul Embrace knows how hard the first record is to find anyway. Good luck. Yeah, um, I showed this to Joe earlier, uh, the clenched fist version of For the Incomplete, and I was like, nobody has this. Like This doesn't exist, really, <laughs> like in the real world. Um, most, of the, most people that have this record have it as a digital re-release that was released by Blood and Ink Records like a decade later. Like, and that's the first version of it I had. I just, it somehow in my good fortune ended up snagging a copy of this. And um, I don't have any issue saying that this is probably my favorite Soul Embraced release. Um, mostly because it's the most death metal. What you have here are just, I mean, is just furious drumming, courtesy of Lance Garvin, who, you know, if you've listened to the first 
three or so living sacrifice records, you know that this dude can play some damn death metal drums. Uh, and he does really good here. Uh, guitar, guitar-wise, this is interesting. This is uh, this is Rifforama. Early Soul Embraced had a very good penchant for writing catchy, memorable riffs, and you get that in Spades here. Like I think, I think some of the riffs on this are some of the catchiest that I've ever heard. Um, Ascent into Thy Embrace, which is track three, has one of the most memorable introductions I've ever heard on a song. And um, Devour Gamora, uh, track six, is amazing. Like the guitar work here is fantastic. Again, Rocky Gray, no stranger to awesome guitar sound, uh, riffs, everything. And I guess like this record being so aggressive and being so intense and in your face really sets you up for an experience that you're not going to get overall with Soul Embraced. There's an aspect of the band later on that sounds like fake Degent to my ears. They existed at a time when metal was changing. We had new metal gone at this point, or at least out the door when this record came out. Your death metal and melodic metal from other sides of the world, Sweden, Gothenburg, there I said it, was starting to make its way into the mainstream. But underground, we were still looking for heavy, intense thrash. And I don't know how much of it was rocky, or just this is the music scene at the time for Soul Embraced, where you have these intense outbursts of speed, melodic playing, but then there were these little bits of what would become mainstream in a couple years when everybody went back to, I guess, putting melody in their heavy music. Right. Well, and this is a pretty melodic record for being death metal, but like, I love the energy that's on this record. I think the only thing that's really kind of a hindrance to it is the overall sound quality in general. It's sound, it's got a little bit of a tin can sound to it. You should listen to the cassette version, which I know you have. <laughs> I don't have, I do not have a cassette version of this. No, I mean, you've heard it. Um, it's pretty tin. Is there a cassette version of this? I don't know if there is. Uh, maybe um, the record that I heard first was just ripped to cassette, but yeah, it wasn't maybe, bad. Maybe, maybe, but like... It was bad. This was... I don't think it's unlistenable. I mean, I think it sounds pretty good overall for what it is. For an underground metal release, it sounds fine. Um, it's just very, um, like I said, kind of tinny sounding, but it still sounds heavy, sounds aggressive. Probably the, probably the most melodic moment on the album is the song "My Tourniquet," which this song deserves a little bit of special, a little bit of special mention. It was the first song by Soul Embrace that I had ever heard, and it was on a, a website called Godcore.com that I used to go to all the time. <laughs> Never forget to, to check out the coolest Christian metal bands ever, and this song "My Tourniquet" was on there. And uh, it's not really a death metal song, really. It sounds more like an alternative rock song. Like, it's heavy as piss, but like... It's a melodic metal breakdown. It's almost like Rocky wrote half of a song, and then it was so groovy and awesome that he just decided to go with it. 
Yeah, because it's like stylistically very different from any other song that's on here. It probably sounds very familiar to our listeners for a different reason if you're listening right now. Okay, so let's get the cat out of the bag. Evanescence released a song on their debut album called Fallen that was called Tourniquet, which was essentially the exact same song as this song, except they added a few lyrics and obviously it's done in the Evanescence style, but it is still very much this song. Let's talk about the Evanescence style for a minute. Isn't it interesting how the Evanescence style was kind of this? How much of that was Rocky Gray, or how much of that was The Times? Well, I mean, obviously on this song, it was all Rocky Gray, right? So which came first, Evanescence or Rocky Gray's style? Well, Rocky Gray's style, I mean, this came out in 2001, I think uh, Fallen came out in, like, what, 2003? What year Sometime did around there? Daredevil come out with Ben Affleck? I think that was 03. It was either 02 or 03. So that was when we got My Immortal and Bring Me to Life. Right. I mean, I was pretty shocked. I mean, I remember I was riding in a car with some friends of mine, and they were listening to the new Evanescence album. Or, you know, the only Evanescence album at that time. I know they had had an independent release. It was still new. <laughs> none of my friends in high school had that shit. So, anyway, we're listening to this album and this song, Tourniquet, comes on. And I was like, God, this sounds so fucking familiar, and I can't figure out what it is. And then whenever she got to the chorus, she's like, my God, my tourniquet. I was like, no. No, they didn't. They fucking didn't. Please, God, tell me they didn't. And uh, I'll tell you what they did do. They took this awesome solo out. I'll tell you what they did do is they gave my soul fucking herpes, man. <laughs> uh, it was so disappointing to me because I loved Soul Embraced at that time. And, you know, like to, to hear this kind of shitty version of a song that I thought was really cool, like kind of one of the more unique tracks on the album. To have it done in this style, like it just bothers the shit out of me. And what bothers me the most is I don't believe Soul Embrace was even credited for this. I blame the record label for that. The original pressing of Fallen just says all songs written by Amy Lee. And then later pressings would correct that for this particular song. I love this song in hindsight. It's not just a great song, but it is the source of one of my personal favorite stories of introducing someone to death metal. When I was in college, one of the girls from down the way grew up in the same town as Amy Lee, went to church with Amy Lee. Oh my God. Loved Amy Lee and would walk around just singing everything she did. And then one day I happened to be walking up the stairs with my groceries and she's singing my tourniquet. And I said, you need to sing it the right way. She says, what do you mean? I lead her in the front door. I turn on the stereo. I crank it to 10. I go back down to the car to get the rest of what I had. And as I'm walking up the stairs, she is storming down the sidewalk, flipping me the fuck off, saying, bullshit, Amy Lee sounds better. I said, you just don't understand greatness when you hear it. Well, greatness is in the eye of the beholder, right? I mean... Let's, uh, this is a good segue into the vocal delivery of Soul Embraced. Chad Moore, brother-in-law to Rocky Gray, overall great guy. I don't like his vocals, Joe. I have personally never loved his vocals. 
but I have grown to accept them as the vocal style of Soul Embraced. Yes. I think he sounds pretty damn good on this record. It's all him. We're we're not going to so on the Arch Enemy episode we got into a knockdown drag out about processed vocals. Luckily this record he sounds pretty damn good. Lots of weird whispering. You'll come to find that he's really into whispering. And he has a pretty decent growl, kind of a deeper register. His vocals are the deepest they had ever been on For the Incomplete. And I think he sounds pretty good overall on this record. For the Incomplete is kind of a classic in its scene, you know. It's that record that's hard to find. It's that record that everybody knows about. And, uh, you know, kind of made Soul Embraced into this really big deal, this, like, cult underground band that had kind of a cult following. And uh, and I love it, man. It's definitely one of my favorite records. I think the hype is real. And I think For the Incomplete is a fucking great record. Please give us a vinyl re-release, Rocky. You yeah, have the come power. come on, man. Do we, it. We need it. We need it. The masses need this album. It is not immediately available to everyone. Come on, man. You can do it. YouTube is your friend if you want to hear this. 2002, This Is My Blood. So inevitably, Soul Embrace ends up signing the Solid State Records because that was the record label The Living Sacrifice was on. And as we discussed earlier, Living Sac- you know, this band was essentially two-thirds Living Sacrifice. And I want to say that Tooth and Nail Solid State had like a clause for side projects where if you're signed to our label and you have a side project, you have to pretty much, you know, be in it. <laughs> you know, like you right. have, it has to come out on our label, you know, which makes sense because what if it's huge? You know, look at uh, look at Dashboard Confessional, you know, versus, um, <laughs> you know, uh, versus further scenes forever you know <laughs> like that's a classic example you know which is funny because brandon evil of tooth and nail records like basically gave chris caraba his blessing saying that like he could go do another label big mistake anyway so uh this is my blood is the second record by soul embraced came out a couple years later in 2002 or i guess really just a year later because uh for the incomplete was 2001 this album also, uh, it's Lance Garvin of Living Sacrifice, Rocky Gray of Living Sacrifice, and Chad Moore. Was Rocky Gray in Living Sacrifice at this point? Yes, he was. I thought that happened later. But Rocky Gray had been in Living Sacrifice since uh, the hammering process, and he didn't, which was 2000, I believe. And he didn't cross the streams until later. Correct. All right. Correct. And most interesting, too, is that... Uh, it is noted in the liner notes of This Is My Blood that John LeCompte is the live guitarist for the band. And actually, John LeCompte, I believe, was also involved in Evanescence as well. And uh, Arthur Green of Living Sacrifice was the live bassist for Soul Embraced, who is also the bassist for Living Sacrifice. Now, one of the interesting things about the liner notes of This Is My Blood is it lists uh, Rocky Gray as guitars slash vocals. That's going to come into play a little bit later. You're saying there's melodic vocals on this album? I am saying that. I can confirm and do not have to deny the existence of clean vocals on 
Soul Embrace Records. This is where I start wondering how much of this was Rocky Gray and how much of this was just that time frame of underground music. And I'm leaning towards the common element, which is Rocky Gray. As we go on, it's going to become more apparent that it's Rocky Gray. Well, what's interesting is that this record is, I guess, about half as heavy as For the Incomplete. Like, I Fade Away kicks in, and it's obviously, like, the death metal elements are very minimalized on this record. I'm not saying it's metalcore, it's not hardcore. I don't really know what to call it. It's melodic metal with with uh, extreme vocals. I would call it melodic metal. It is by no means metalcore, but I would call it melodic metal. It is, and the first time you hear Rocky Gray on a Soul Embrace track, he's not doing anything vocally differently than he was doing on Living Sacrifice. Uh, he's basically like shouting a clean... You, know, you get to that chorus, and he's like, fade away, you know? He's basically just shouting. He's not really singing, but it does uh, it does turn into singing later on in the record. Now, I like This Is My Blood. I think the riffs are catchy. Again, that was a common theme with For The Incomplete is that the riffs were catchy. The drumming was good. The band was heavy. They sounded good. The only real issue I have with this record is the vocals sound like absolute shit. It's a slightly lower sound quality compared to the original. But like it shouldn't be. That's also going back with 2018 ears. Is it though? Like, I mean, I just, these vocals sound heavily processed. It's like, uh, like we always make fun of trust company for having whispered vocals. And on, um, this is my blood. I feel like the vocals are very whispery, like very wispy, like very heavily processed vocals. That's also what was typically done for this style of vocal layering, and inevitably there was a whisper track in there somewhere. Well, it's, yeah, and that's all because of Zayo. Compared to how it was done later, though, you're right. And I personally don't like this album as much as the first. I don't know if it's my least favorite, but I listen to it the least. I like it for the melodic aspects. Like, I think it's one of their better overall albums, but it's definitely got some weird stuff that takes place on it. Like, the the clean vocals are inserted in places where I don't think they necessarily fit. And the band fakes you out a lot. Like, there's a lot of tracks that start off sounding like something that you would hear from, you know, for the incomplete. But then it, it devolves into this, like, weird melodic... Uh, this weird melodic stuff like Scorn of Death's Kiss comes to mind which is you know starts off really heavy and aggressive and then like turns into like weird whispering vocals and like acoustic-y you know melodic guitar lines and stuff and it's not that it's done badly but I just don't think that the vocals sound good overall like I think they're I think they're trying to sound like Dan from Zao. But I think like that was the whole solid state thing at the time was that they were trying to recreate what they had, the gold mine that they had gotten out of Zayo. I was about to ask because everybody underground was imitating each other, trying to find the sound that would break. And I feel like we already had that. 
even if we didn't know it already, because this is when As I Lay Dying started to kick in. Yeah, and I mean, you know, Zao was such a big deal for Solid State whenever they had put out their Blood and Fire record, but that was, you know, that was back in 2000, and I'm sorry, that was back in 1998, you know, and so this is about, what, four years later? And, but I mean, they, I think they just kind of thought, we've got a raspy vocalist, we need to mix it like we mix the Zao vocals, which is, you know, basically two scream tracks and a whisper track. Admittedly, producers at this time didn't know how to handle these vocals. Right. So we end up back at the formula. We're going to do multiple layers. You're going to do one straight. You're going to whisper one. But when you're doing what he's doing, you just need it doubled. Right. But overall, it sounds shitty. Like, I can't I can't get past that. Like, it sounds very heavily processed. And it bothers me because it doesn't sound like a real performance. Now, I'd be interested to see what the band sounded like live, but the band played live so infrequently that, you know, it was hard for me to get to see them in my neck of the woods, you know. But, I mean, I think overall, This Is My Blood was still a pretty decent record. I don't know if it was their best showing as a solid state debut. But, I mean, you know, it sounds pretty cool. It's it's much more melodic than uh, For the Incomplete was. But I think overall, it's a pretty solid release. And I'm giving it a lot of credit because it's significantly better than the next release. 2003, Immune. Oh, boy. I give it a pass on the sound quality because I like Parade of Chaos so much. This is also when the guitars started to sound fake. I don't know who to blame because that was a thing on Solid State and Tooth and Nail for a few years. Okay, well, I understand if it's like 1999 <laughs> or it's 2000 or it's 2001. I could understand during those years why somebody would be like, you know what the kids like right now? They like corn. They like seven dust. They like slipknot. They like mudvane. They like new metal. Why the hell a band? that would start off as a death metal band and put out a great record like For the Complete. And even This Is My Blood. Why would they think that it would be like totally socially acceptable to put out a new metal album in 2003? And you guys can bitch at me all you want and argue with me all you want about it not being new metal. But I mean, Jesus Christ, just listen to it. You don't like Rocky's line six pod guitar sound not a big fan of it you don't like the digital drum set that was used to record these sounds do you think it was digital it absolutely sounds digital i mean this is the same band it's not like you can blame it on being like different members or anything i think this was whatever production standard was set at this particular time it's a it's a horrible waste of lance garvin I'll tell you that. It's kind of a kind of a waste of Rocky Gray, if you ask me. Speaking of Zayo, self-titled and Parade of Chaos would have very similar qualities. So again, I don't know who to blame. Strictly talking about the songs, though, I don't know if it's new metal, but it's definitely not what we had before, what we had later. It's not what Rocky was doing at the time. Dude, it's new metal as can be. I, I mean, don't know where it came from. Like, Immune to Emotion is just so, like, 
it's new metal. I don't know how to say it. Like Chad's vocals sound like metalcore or death metal. I mean, I I'm gonna go with metalcore on this one because it doesn't really sound all that death metally to me. Um, you know, immune to emotion. I think was supposed to be like the strong opener, but like it kind of falls flat. Like the heaviness isn't there. There's no like grit, you know, like, and again, I think this could just be the time period it was recorded in. This was 2003. This is when we started to be able to record at home with software and actually. But this wasn't recorded at home. This was recorded at at, uh, Pointer's Palace with Barry Pointer. And this was the time like when the same studios did not know how to master and record Dude, digital. This is the same They studio. did not know how to do it yet. This is the same guy, the same studio that put out fucking Blood and Fire Bring or Blood and Fire Bring Rest. Which was not recorded with as much digital influence as the next two albums. Okay, I mean I agree, but like it just I don't know who to blame. What I'm saying is I don't know who to blame. They're just not the only band that put out an album that year that sounds like this. I think everybody thought, oh, look, we don't have to do all those extra steps anymore, and we can just plug in straight, and it'll sound great. And it didn't sound great. Right, and but I'm not, I'm, just, I'm not just talking about the way it sounds, though. Like, I'm talking about the guitar tuning. I'm talking about, like the guitar tone like the 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 overall sound is much more geared towards new metal and i don't know if that's because rocky was just burned out with the shit that he was doing in living sacrifice which is valid you know like this was around the same time that they put out uh conceived in fire he was also on the road with evanescence was he on i guess he might have been at this time but like yeah i see a little bit of that uh I see a little bit of that influence there, and I also see... So Rocky and John LeCompte were in a new metal band called Kill System. And they never did anything, at least as far as I know. I see where you're going with this. As far as I know, they never really did anything, but um, I think they might have put out an EP that I don't have. Because I wasn't interested. You know, I was more like, yeah, death metal, fuck you. You know, like that sort of stuff. So you think some of these songs might have been that with soul-embraced vocals? Yeah, entirely. And, like, I, I, I definitely feel that. Especially, Joe, if you could cue up um, the song um, Seems Like Forever, which the music was written by Rocky Gray, but the lyrics were by John LeCompte. Corn much? Oh, it's very corn. It's, it's very corn, very disturbed. Like... It's weird to me that a band like Soul Embraced would be putting out, they'd go full Disturbed on us, right down to the vocals, which are essentially like faux-wrapped. Like they're very Disturbed-type vocals. Absolutely. And this record is like full of clean vocals, which I believe are provided by Rocky Gray. And they sound okay, but like I can't tell if like they were huge Taproot fans or if this is just like you know, um, a coincidence. Looking for the big hit again. But the cl- the the clean vocals sound very taprootish to me, which is fine if you're taproot. You know, um, but it definitely was just weird. Like, I mean, I'm three albums in, and I'm not even like even close. I'm not even close to listening to the same band that I was listening to when I first started. 
if this is all you had, I would definitely be a little upset at this point. It was irritating, but like, let me, let me go back in time a little bit though. I didn't hate this record when it came out. I didn't have the butthurt metal fan, fanboy, unpleasable metal fan mindset that I normally would have. But looking at it now, it sticks out like a sore fucking thumb. Especially with what would come next. Right. I mean, like, Immune is just a weird record that's full of clean vocals. Um, I think that Chad's screaming or growling vocals actually do sound better on this record than they sounded on This Is My Blood. But that isn't saying much because it's almost like he was trying to just go full Zayo on this one. And I don't know if that had something to do with the fact that Zayo was, like, leaving Solid State at this point or, you know, breaking up, you know, or whatever. You know, Zayo has a, a long history. But uh, <laughs> you ready to do a revisited on that yet? Uh, we might do a Zayo revisited. We'll see if that's in the cards. I'm going to wait at least a year, though, because people are so sick of hearing me talk about Zayo. But uh, if they haven't gotten used to it by now, they don't know you as well as I do. Right. <laughs> well, you know, whenever I co-host on John's Untitled Podcast, every time I say Zayo, he just bleeps it out. So <laughs> there's that. Um, but what's funny is that on uh, on Immune, I just couldn't really get into the very basic song structure but some of the good things i will say about the record is that i feel like the lyrics are very personal on this record and there is genuine emotion behind a lot of it you know like there's a song called uh, existence existence in despair and that song is um just i mean you know like he, he sings in the chorus or you know uh, you're all there is in my life without you. I'm blinded. I'm, uh, I don't remember exactly. I'm, <laughs> I don't remember, but anyway, it's like a, about emptiness and like, this is my existence. And like those songs actually do sound pretty damn genuine. And so I can't discredit the whole record for being a style that I don't appreciate that year. Like some of the songs are very redeemable. Um, I bury you is a very sincere, angry song. Someone walked across my grave is a is a very sincere song, existence in despair and abandon. Where you know we're talking about like actual like daddy issues, you know, kind of stuff, which you know is very new metal. So like it makes sense. Here's to a the question: extent. If they played it live and it didn't sound like this record sounds, would you be happy to hear it? Probably, yeah. Like I mean, like I said, I never. I've never had the pleasure of seeing Soul Embrace live, so it's possible that my opinion could be different about some of these songs, but for the most part, man, I just was like, okay, this is a record that came out. It exists. It's a thing, but like, it just never really hit me on the level of some of their other stuff, and so I was pretty disappointed as a fan. And then after that, Soul Embrace kind of just disappeared. Right around the same time, The Living Sacrifice disappeared. And then came back. And then came back. Right. So. Remind me again. Living Sacrifice went away. And then Rocky Gray. Continued with Evanescence. A couple things together and brought back Living Sacrifice. And then that band would go on to release Soul Embrace 
2008 Dead Alive. Am I remembering that accurately? You're not. Please correct me. It's true the Living Sacrifice did come back after a few years. However, Soul Embrace actually came back with a brand new lineup. So at this point, they had kind of grown beyond being like a Living Sacrifice side project. Or, you know, whatever you want to call it. But they were definitely trying to do the Soul Embrace thing full time. And so a few new members joined the band. Because up to this point, every every Soul Embraced album was Lance Garvin, Rocky Gray, and Chad Moore. And they are very much on this record as well. Lance Garvin, Rocky Gray, and Chad Moore. But then they have a guy named Devin, and they've got a guy named Jeff. So they've, they've rounded out the lineup. And it's a full band pick. It's actually pretty impressive. And I remember thinking, like, holy shit, Soul Embraced is actually back. You know, like they're they're gonna be a real thing now, and they were. They put a record out called Dead Alive, and I remember being really stoked about it because of the singles that I'd heard off of it prior to it being released. Because the last thing we got out of this band was Immune, and I wasn't like overly impressed with that record, but I heard you know the singles they released, uh, which was uh, Breaking Point and uh, Curtain of Deceit. And these songs sounded a lot more like uh, This Is My Blood. They never really went back to the For the Incomplete sound. At least not yet. It's melodic metal. It's melodic metal. It's it's basically This Is My Blood Part 2. I remember saying things to Buddy, you know, about, like, this is the record that should have come after This Is My Blood. And it's almost like... Uh, it's almost like a movie franchise that just like ignores a bad sequel that was released. <laughs> you know, like it just kind of continues on in a similar vein to what we'd had prior. So this is very much like This Is My Blood Part 2. Um, it's a little bit, you know, darker of a record. But I think overall it retains the Soul Embrace sound that they had established on This Is My Blood. And uh, I like the fact that it was called Dead Alive, which is a, a reference to the song... Uh, I'm sorry, to the movie Dead Alive, the famous uh, Peter Jackson film. In all of its greatness. Yes. <laughs> and uh, AKA brain dead, depending on which country you're in. I was a little bummed out that there wasn't a sound clip on this record that was like, I kick ass for the Lord. <laughs> but uh, anyway, uh, this record was really cool, man. Uh, Breaking Point was awesome. Curtain of Deceit was great. Everything reminds me of you. And then there was that song called Crawl, which basically sounded like a B-sard off of Immune. Um, with some very forced Seven Dust-esque singing on it. I'm not a fan of the guitar entirely on this one. It still has that fake Line 6 studio sound, but it's better. This is 2008. We were starting to figure this shit out with digital recording and studios and impulses. Yeah, I mean, overall, it sounded heavier, obviously, than Immune, which that didn't take much. It sounded like a melodic metal Right, with a few death metal Release. touches here and there. Yeah, it was Soul Embraced. The most out-of-place aspect of Soul Embraced has always been the vocals after the first record. Correct. And so uh, the vocals sound like shit on this record, again. <laughs> I mean, I'm sorry. Like I, like I said, I, I'm sure Chad's a great guy, and I'd love to talk to him. I mean, Chad, we want to do the interview. But the This is all is, he's ever done, right, is Soul Embraced. As far as I know, yeah. 
and again, like I want to do the interview. I'm sure he's a great dude, and I'd love to talk to him. But the thing is, is that like the vocals sound like total shit. I'm not really criticizing Chad's performance as a vocalist, but I think there were a lot of weird things that were done to his vocals because the producer or whomever just couldn't figure out like how do we make this sound good or how do we make this sound cooler or how do we make it sound extreme and how they do it is they do you know two vocal tracks and they throw some whispering shit on there um but i think he does sound better on this record overall like it is improving but again like the, like joe was saying about the guitar sound it is improving and there is something about the guitar sound that is going to carry on into the next record that I don't like. And that's that whenever the band decides it's going to play a breakdown or play something super heavy, I don't really know how to put my finger on it. Maybe Joe can explain it better, but it just sounds fucking weak. Like, it's just like, it's like tap, 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 tap versus like chunk, 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 chunk. I don't know. Like, it's that single that? string metalcore breakdown that when it's recorded digitally the way this record and other albums of the time were recorded you're not moving any air you're just capturing the raw sound of the string going pluck pluck but then you edit it in a way where you're taking out all of the ring and the low resonance that you would have if it was being recorded through an actual amp. It's best described as the origin of the degent sound, where it was stopping on purpose. I actually think this album is closer to For the Incomplete than any other album. I think if this was mastered or mixed a little bit shittier, it would sound very close to the first record that we all love so much. Well, I disagree a little bit in the sense that, like, this record is very hooky. It's very melodic. It has a lot of choruses and shit, which, with the exception of, like, My Tourniquet, didn't really exist on For the Incomplete. Like, this is definitely the more modern Soul Embrace. This is the same Soul Embrace that put out um, This Is My Blood, you know? You could definitely hear that. But I agree that the if it sounded a little bit shittier, it might sound more brutal than it does. But that all that being said, this was a great comeback record for the band. Like it definitely like piqued my interest a lot in the band again, and I was like, okay, I could listen to three more. This is my bloods. If you pull if you pull an immune again, I'm out. <laughs> you know, but you know, I'm willing to accept that record as this is your band's that record. Every band has that record, you know, but, uh, and most bands. Yeah. And that's fine. But, uh, you know, I, I definitely thought that this was a strong release and it did keep me interested in the band despite the vocals. But, you know, I think overall they did a pretty good job. So, you know, great job, Soul Embrace. Thank you very much. To the best of my knowledge, some point between 2008 and 2012, Evanescence quit. Gone. Meaning everybody except I said it, shit. Decided not to do that band anymore. <laughs> right. Right. There was a band that came out of that called We Are the Fallen. 
Correct. That was called what they were called because it was the members of Evanescence that wrote, recorded the original release Fallen. Right. And it sounds like Evanescence with a different vocalist. Basically, yes. So for me personally, I was not expecting Soul Embraced to release a new album. Then Dan shows up and says, pull up YouTube. Yeah, so they released a video, a lyric video, for a new song called They Live, We Sleep. And Roddy Roddy Piper was nowhere in sight. And I remember saying something. (laughs) I remember saying something along the lines of, dude, they're going back to For the Incomplete. I don't think that's true, looking back. But I do remember there was Cthulhu in the video, so that's a thing. Right, that was good enough for me, right? I mean, it was better than Cloverfield. I just heard heavy, intense, and I was looking forward to it. And what we got was kind of that. I wouldn't say it was for the incomplete, but it's Soul Embrace playing heavy again. And like we said earlier, you get the fake, not really degent, what I would call the Soul Embrace breakdown. Yeah, like... I remember thinking that this was kind of weak sounding, but I could hear where the band was trying to go with it. And like, yeah, it definitely doesn't hit as hard as it could. Like, I actually think they live. We sleep is the worst song on the album. My opinion. I'm a much bigger fan of like a corpse and like awaken. The catalyst is really good. Um, Perversion of the cross is great. Counterfeit gospel is great. You know, like, it, this album was chock full of great songs. And again, the vocals still sound kind of like shit. But <laughs> I am kind of used to that, I guess, They're very clear on this album. It's the way this band sounds. Like, that's all I can really say about it. It doesn't bother me as much. Like, I'm an extreme metal fan, dude, so, like, the vocals don't bother me that much if they're not great. At least he's enunciating. He is. He sounds, he sounds a little bit more like... For the incomplete soul embrace on this like it's a legitimate performance being captured and uh, I really like the way this record sounds but I like that it's more death metal and there's a reason for that Rocky Gray's not playing guitar on this he's playing drums you are correct Rocky Gray plays record or plays drums on this record at least he's credited as so he sounds great you know I have, I have no issues with his drumming ability but he's not writing and recording all the songs as far as I know. They have a different guitarist, and that's why this record gives off kind of a different vibe. It's a full band. You're absolutely correct. It is a full band, and it sounds like it on this record. I really feel like full bands will always sound better, even if it's just in the studio, because you get different perspectives on how things are played. Yes, James Hetfield writes everything with Lars back in the day, but then Kirk had to play his parts. Right, and there's a little bit more atmosphere on this record. There is melody, but it's not, like, shoved down your throat like it has been on the previous records. The band can be a little bit more taken seriously as a death metal band on this record than they've been taken since For the Incomplete. It's not a facsimile of that record by any means. Number one, it sounds a lot better. You know, production-wise, the riffs are catchy. They're tasty. 
I take issue with some of the heavier parts that sound kind of quantized. That they just don't sound heavy. Like they don't sound like what the goal was when they start when they wrote those parts. They're thinking this is going to be a fucking barn burner. You know what I mean? Like this is going to like this is going to like take everyone out, and then it doesn't really. It kind of falls flat because of the production value. I have no shame looking back with my 2018 ears and saying quantization is one of those things that really got overused and it's underused on this album for the time i've heard other people say the more humanity you take out of the performance the less human it sounds and unfortunately the only person that can really make the machine sound good is trent reznor in my view well, and like if it's not quantized, I apologize, but it does sound like that. It's it has a very similar edited. sound. It's almost sanitized, right? And the production on this record is so good, it's almost a detriment. In the sense that you have a very aggressive band with aggressive songs, but their the actual recording doesn't reflect that. I feel very much the same way about like our debut album, Joe. We're like, gonna bring that up, are we? Yeah, because like we had, we had like heavy. We, but no, I mean, I, I get. I guess what I'm trying to say is that like I get how it happens. You know, like you've wrote these heavy songs that sound amazing in the recording space or in the practice space. It sounds great, but then whenever you actually put it to tape, for some reason something is lost in the transition, and I don't know if it's the technology behind it that's doing it or if it's just. You know, this is just the best they could do in the studio that day. But it just, um, it bothers me because I know this record could be so much more than it is. And it's still very good. Like, in my opinion, it's the best record they've put out since For the Incomplete. Agreed. I don't think it would sound better a different day or even a different year. I think if Soul Embrace put out a new album today, it would sound like Soul Embraced with 2018 production. And that's something that I keep going back to with music that was recorded digitally. We eventually figured out how to do it right. And by music, I mean heavy music because pop has always sounded like that. Heavy music, we figured it out somewhere between 2012 and 2015. And I hope that we get the opportunity to hear Soul Embraced in 2018 because I think it's going to be pretty damn good. Yeah, I don't know if we're going to hear from them in 2018 or if we're going to hear from them again. I hope we do, but it's definitely one of those things where you know, you're right. Like, it's going to sound great with modern production or it won't, or it's going to be the negative sides of modern production. This was modern production for 2013, and it sounds alright. Like I said, I'm not like dogging on the record as a whole, but there are parts on it that I'm like, eh, this could have been better. You know, maybe that's not the band's fault, but maybe it is. I don't really know. Final thoughts on Soul Embraced. If you're a fan of bands like Living Sacrifice and you want to hear another band that's kind of on the level, I would say Soul Embraced isn't as good as Living Sacrifice by any stretch of the imagination. But I think they're kind of a way for Rocky Gray to experiment with extreme music and make it more melodic, make it more digestible for people. There's a reason why Soul Embraced has kind of a cult following 
by fans. They don't put records out that often. They don't tour that often. And it's always a big deal whenever they show up. And they're like, hey, we got a new thing going on. So with that being said, I mean, I think uh, I think Soul Embrace has a pretty interesting catalog. But if you're a diehard metal fan and all you want to hear is Blast, check out For the Incomplete and check out Mythos and everything else. Your mileage may vary. Something in, interesting to note is that in 2006 and 2007, uh, the band had a rhythm guitarist by the name of Jack Weiss, or Weiss, I'm not sure how it's pronounced. <laughs> but this is important to me in that Jack was actually the lead vocalist of the band The Fifth Element, who I'm a huge fan of. So it's kind of it's kind of a small world in that I would have never placed Soul Embraced and The Fifth Element together in any capacity. But... Uh, Here's Jack playing rhythm guitar and soul embraced, even if it was for a year. I thought that was a pretty cool trivia bit. Does that mean that at some point we could have gone to a soul embrace show and heard Fifth Element songs? No. Only in my dreams. I don't think that would ever happen. <laughs> I think soul embraced sounds like a band you listened to back in the mid 2000s, just with the different vocals. And I think they show off a style of music that was underutilized and overutilized at the same time. It was melodic metal, but it started as extreme metal. So you had an extreme metal vocalist with very melodic songs for the most part. And I think if you like melodic metal, you definitely need to listen to Soul Embraced because at least one of them had his hand in almost everything for a while. And you're going to find pieces of other things you've heard. And that might be a gateway into this style. Because at first, if you're not into this type of vocal, you're not going to enjoy it. Give it some time. Let it sink in. And I think you will find, much like the Dark Tower, Soul Embraced is kind of the apex for melodic metal. So what's your album of the week, Dan? Uh, my album of the week, probably more than Suffering by Thy Pain. For me this week, I was listening to Project 86, and the album I go back to the most is Songs to Burn Your Bridges By. I love that album. I think in many ways it is the definitive Project 86 release, at least of the original band, which I admit is my favorite. One thing that we found out right before we started recording... Jason from Primer 55 has passed away. Totally unexpected. I didn't know that he was having any problems um, until today. I'm going to be listening to Introduction to Mayhem all day tomorrow. Yeah. Um, this is a... I don't know what to say, man. This is uh, completely unexpected, not out of nowhere, seemingly. and um, It's a huge loss. Like, I... I See, I'm never, never good at at, at being sentimental about this kind of stuff, but like, I'm definitely, uh, definitely sad, man. And just imagine what everybody's going through right now, and um, it just sucks. So, so definitely lost to music. So, keep your ears on the Talk to Me podcast. I'm sure Josh is going to say something about it. Yeah, he just said something on Facebook that he would, you know, be getting something together soon. Rest in peace. Jason. 
And on that note, this has been episode 78 of Discography Discussion. Thank you for listening. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Discuss Metal. Subscribe to our podcast everywhere you listen to podcasts, including Google Play, iTunes, and Stitcher. Visit DiscussMetal.com for all things discography discussion. And please send questions and comments to DanAndJoeShow at gmail.com. If you are not a patron, you can become one at patreon.com forward slash discuss metal. We have some sweet perks. Give me your money. You can hear-